morning, Ephesians chapter 1. And in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. You can read about Paul bringing the gospel to Ephesus in Acts 19, one of the largest, most pronounced Roman cities of the time, a very big place of various pagan worships. Paul uniquely pastored there for three years. Paul really stayed a week or three weeks in one place. But God had him set put in this college town. And during the afternoon siesta, he would go into that amphitheater in town where all the philosophers and the new theologies around the world would come. And he had a Bible study there. And hundreds of thousands of people came to the Lord and they would come to Ephesus. They'd go back throughout Asia Minor, Turkey today, to the various churches or to the various towns and bring the gospel. And churches were sprouting up from all these new believers. And then Paul would have to send Titus or um, Silas or Timothy. And, and these guys would go and bring them the gospel and, and spend some time with them, helping mature them into the Lord and raise some leaders up. And, and then they would continue to minister uh, Christianity to that group of people. Uh, what a radical time it was. Paul eventually was led back to Jerusalem where he was arrested. And he realized as he was not too far from Jerusalem in a, in a place called Caesarea by the sea, he realized that he was not going to get a fair trial, that the Jewish Sanhedrin were putting pressure on the Roman leaders to give them the head of Paul, to bring him back so they could stone him to death. So Paul realizing he wasn't going to get a fair shake, he did what he could do as a Roman soldier. This is very unique. His father bought a Roman citizenship, probably for millions of dollars. So Paul was a Roman citizen, which gave you all power. And one thing you could do as a Roman citizen, say, I want Caesar himself to hear my case. Now, once you said that, I appeal to Caesar. We know the saying, right? To Caesar, you shall go. Typically, that was a death sentence because you're going to wait in house arrest a light prison, until Nero saw you or you died. And the chances of Nero seeing you, you're more likely going to die <laughs> in Rome under house arrest. But Paul did get to see Nero, and that's another story. But why he's there, he writes what we have, most of the New Testament. Churches he had heard about that needed some wisdom, which is the word of God to us or churches he had started and relating back to them doctrinal information they needed to keep them on course. So this book is very nicely broken down into chapters one and two. Some would call it the wealth of Christianity, of uh, all that we have provided, that all been provided for us in Christ Jesus. And then chapter three to six, nine is the walk in God. And then starting at the very end of the book, verse 10 to not quite the end of the chapter, but basically the warfare of the believer. One person put it in this way, learn to sit in Christ, learn to walk with Christ, and then to stand for Christ. 
Another put it this way. The first two chapters are the call of Christ and then the conduct of a Christian and then the conflict with Satan. And, uh, and so there's different ways of, of looking at this. But we know that story, and I'm not going to go and repeat it this morning, but Paul was a persecutor of the church named Saul. And God gave him a great conversion. And his great Saul, prideful, king, kingly name. But yet he was called to the Gentiles, so he had a Gentile name, which meant little, Paul, a very humble name. And then apostle. Now what we see here in the New Testament is not translation of a word, but what's called a transliteration of a word. So when we don't have that word in the language, we take the letters, in this case from Greek, and we say, what's that look like? Well, it looks like an A. Okay, A. What's that look like? Well, it looks like a P. You got a P. And we create a new word. That's what apostle is. It literally means the sent one, but we don't have a word like that. And so there's one created. So now it becomes a part of our English uh, dictionary, a, a newly created word out of the Greek. And that means a sent one, a sent one, an ambassador, a appointed one by God. Jesus is another transliteration from a Hebrew, Yah, Shua. Yah is God, Shua is salvation. God, my salvation. Joshua is what we say. And there's a lot of Joshua's in the Bible in there. And, um, and so a very common, regular name. And then Christ in the Hebrew, Messiah. Another transliterated word, which means the anointed one of God. So Jesus, the anointed one to bring salvation. And it's by the will of God. We know that Paul was stubbornly going to kill every Christian he could find or imprison them and stomp out Christianity. But God met him on that road and stopped him in his tracks. And notice the, the, what Paul learns about his calling. In Galatians 1.15, he, he learns and says, it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to, to be this apostle, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. But then later, he backs it up even further from his mother's womb. And he says in 2 Timothy 1.9, who has saved us and called us with this holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. When? Before time began. Before the vanishing point in the past or the vanishing point in the future, outside of time, God called me. And guys, as we are going to learn in Ephesians in particular, that is the same calling on all of our lives. So we, we sort of want to take a note and say, okay, let's take away the name Paul. Let's take away the name, let's take away the word apostle. And what is it you? Put your name in there. What is your calling of God? All of us Paul is going to tell us has just as powerful of a calling. Look in Ephesians 2.10. We are all his workmanship. That's a word poema. We get poetry or work of art. 
We are all God's work of art, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, predestined before time, that we should walk in them. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, and also 12, 11, God has manifested by the power of his spirit is given to each one of us a ministry for the profit of all. And then in, after verse 7, he gives a list of the spiritual gifts. And then he ends it in verse 11 after naming various spiritual gifts. The same spirit works all things distributing to, he says it again, to each one individually. There it is, as he wills. All of us have such a calling. If we'd seek the Lord and find out what that is, that will be the most fruitful life you can have on this earth and to store up treasure in heaven. And he writes to the saints who are in Ephesus. Boy, the Catholics have really muddied the water with this word. The actual word is the same word for holy, hagios. It would literally be translated the holy ones. And a new word, saints, is there. We are all made holy the moment we believe. Just like that thief on the cross, he did no good works. He would in the future do no good works. He believed. And the moment he believed, he became a holy one because of the work Christ paid on the cross for his sins. His blood was shed to take away his sins. And he rose from the dead, conquering all sins. And I wouldn't just say sin. He conquered all guilt. He conquered all shame. He conquered all rejection. You are now in the beloved. You are in Christ as his precious child, as his precious lamb, as his precious bride, as his precious friend. And so we will see that thief in heaven, sinning, 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 mocking Jesus, even on the cross. He's blaspheming. He believes, and he's going to be in the same heaven as you and I, because salvation does not include works. It doesn't include works in the present or works in the future. Your good works don't guarantee your salvation. Your bad works don't take away salvation. It's a gift of God. If I gave you a gift and I said, here, here it is, and then I whispered in your ear, you can show your appreciation by giving me the 50 bucks I spend on this thing later. It's not a gift, right? So if God says, I'm giving you salvation, but you're going to pay me back or I'm taking the salvation back. Or if I say to you, here's a gift until you quit being good to me, faithful to me, a better, a really great friend to me. The day our friendship is starting to slide a little bit, I'm taking the gift back. Is it a gift? No, it's really not. So in any way, shape, or form, you have to Understand that this is a gift of God without strings attached. 
And we are holy because God has made us holy. The only thing that's separating us from actually seeing our perfect holiness is this body. And when we're out of this body, we'll be present with the Lord, shining as the sun. Because our righteousness is the same as Jesus Christ. And Peter, he actually calls us this. In 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a saintly nation. His own special people that proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Oh, you say, you, you had to throw in the fine print. If it wasn't for this last week, I'd feel okay. I wish you would have preached this sermon last week. Because this week was a horrible week with my faithfulness to God. Or this month, or this coronavirus season has been hard on me spiritually. I was doing better spiritually before this. No, guys. There's only one thing that God counts as faithfulness. We find it in John chapter 6. Verse 28 and 29, they said to him, what shall we do to do the, that we may work the works, plural, of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work, singular. God only wants one work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Who are those faithful in Christ Jesus? Those who have believed in who Jesus is. That's it. Do you believe Jesus is God's son who came into human flesh, taught us the way so we can be the most fruitful people we can, showed us his example, but in his death and resurrection, he paid for all of our sin, raising again, conquering all of our sin. So now as a gift, apart from works, boy, the Bible couldn't be clear on that. It says it several places. Apart from works. Here's the gift of God, apart from works. It's really clear on that. As a gift, by believing. Jesus said in John 3, look, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, remember the children of Israel were in rebellion and the snakes started coming out of the ground and biting them and they were poisonous and they were dying. And then they said, what shall we do? And he said, put a serpent. Well, didn't that represent Satan? Yeah, it does. Sin, evil, poison. Yes, put it upon the pole, the poles they used to carry the flags of the various tribes. And he said, whoever gets bit, all they do is look at it and they're fine. It didn't say look at it and do 10 push-ups. <laughs> look at it and start obeying. Look at it and get baptized. Look at it and start going to church. No. It's, he, he goes, this is exactly how it's going to be with me. As the children of Israel looked upon the, the serpent in the wilderness, even so, the day is going to come where all you have to do is look unto me and you're saved. Period. Boy, we're going to have the fun in this chapter. Because we're going to be looking at election 
and predestination and foreknowledge. And all of these things, when they're understood properly, will bring such a peace of God. But it's so important as we're going to get to chapter 2. The moment we believe, we realize we were called before the foundations of the world and he already sees us in the future seated with him in heavenly places. We are up on the father's lap hugging him and playing with his beard and making fish face with his lips and, and just crawling around. My, my good friend Greg O'Pean was married and my little boy Tracy at the time was the, you know, carried the pillow with the rings on it, I guess. You don't really put the rings on it, right? It's too risky, especially when they're like three and four years old. And he walked up there and, and the whole time Chuck was marrying my friend Greg, my son was playing around on his leg, twirling around on Chuck's leg the whole time. And everybody was just watching him the whole time and Chuck was just loving it. He, it was just... Oh, such a joyful thing to see this little, I don't know, how old was he at the time? Huh? Two or three years old? And just playing around with his feet and jump, you know, jumping on us, up and down on his shoe. And, and you know, everybody, shh, come here. It's like, man, I'm playing. Leave me alone, you know. And he already sees us with him in heaven. He's God, past, present, and future, all equal to him. In his sight. Are you faithful in Christ Jesus? Here's the one question. Have you believed Jesus is the Son of God who came into this world to take away your sin? If the answer is yes, you have eternal life. Well, doesn't it also say to pray? Yes. Don't, don't you want the best life? Well, you're saying I can't go out and drink? Why would you want to? Go for it. Drink all you want to drink. Chuck used to say that. You drink beer? Chuck said, I drink all the beer I want to drink. And boy, did people persecute Chuck for that. Do you know what you're doing? He goes, yeah, I'm not giving them a law. <laughs> They've got to learn that we want to love and obey Christ out of joy and, and freedom. And you know, do, do you want to be an alcoholic? Do, do you want to be a womanizer? Do you want to be a drug addict? Well, can I be a drug addict and still be saved? Yes, but why would you want to be a drug addict and still be saved? That's the question. The whole point of this crisis set you free to be free indeed. Not to use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but he set you free now to love one another. And if your flesh is tied up with anything, you're not going to be loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You're not going to be able to love your neighbor as you want. You see, when, when we give our lives to Christ, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. And now we can grow in our faith. We can grow in that love. And the love should say, not say, can I cheat on my wife and still be saved? The, the question is, how can I love my wife as Christ loves the church? How much can I drink and still be saved? Wisdom would say, don't do anything that might lead to addiction so your body can be free. And you can bear fruit unto God. And he'll prune you and then you can bear more fruit. 
He didn't save you to lead you into bondage. He saved you by his grace to lead you into peace. Right? We're made in his image. And the closer we can walk in his image, the more freedom we're going to have. And freedom is what you want above all else. Freedom to be able to keep your body in check in whatever area it is. And the freedom to be able to just be a light and a salt of the earth, to be a blessing to your spouse, to your kids, to your neighbors. His grace will lead you into peace. First, you have to understand that we are faithful in Christ Jesus. We are saints if we have believed in him and faith alone leads to salvation. Our righteous works are as filthy rags before God, the best we can ever produce in ourselves. Now, after we're born again, by God's power, we can do good works. And those good works will remain forever, the Bible tells us. And we'll be rewarded for them in heaven. But outside of Christ, all my good efforts, as much as I'm trying to bless people, I end up cursing them. And and the, the best I can do is compared to God's good works through me is as filthy rags. Nothing even comes close to the work of God in the Spirit that He can do through the Spirit. In 1 Timothy 1.12, Paul says this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because He counted me faithful, putting me into ministry. Do you sense that? Do you sense that? It's like, I really am not faithful enough to bear good works. But he saw my efforts and he counted them faithful. And of course, again, to be a faithful servant in the noun sense is simply to believe. Now to continue in the walk. We're just like, you know, my little two-year-old boy that wouldn't help me carry in the groceries. What do you do? You go, okay, you grab that side of the bag and I'll, I'll grab this side of the bag. You're carrying 100% of it, right? But he sure thinks he's helping. In the same way, we of ourselves can produce nothing. But this is all a part of the master plan. In 1 Corinthians 1.26, for you see your calling, brother, not many wise according to flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. God's chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. God's chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things in the war of the world, the things which are despised, God has chosen, the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Listen to this, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So God has created this in such a way that we, without our works, no boasting, and now we're trying to walk in Christ and we realize we're not the mighty. We're not the shrewd, wise, clever, Wall Street entrepreneur. We're not these disciplined guys that can run marathons. There's a few of us, there's a few amongst us that are mighty. There's a few amongst us that have been born into this wealth of this world and, and, you know, had a silver spoon, you know, in their mouth their whole life. There's a few people that come to Christ in that. But for the most part, we're just the ragamuffin bunch of people that wouldn't 
do much but live and die in obscurity. But Christ has come and got us, and now through Christ, you can do all things through him who strengthens you. In verse 2 now, he says, Grace to you and peace from our God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, these two Siamese twins, are always seen together. Grace is always before peace. And so until you can understand and walk in the grace of God, you will never have the peace. The Greek word for high is grace, charisis. It literally means power to you, or all blessings to you. We, we would say that God would open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings more than you can contain. Grace, power, all blessings unto you. And then the Greek word shalom, or the Hebrew word shalom, it doesn't just mean peace as in not at wartime. It means wholeness, healing. You're a complete person. We all get cracked along the way, right? <laughs> and often it's those cracks in our life that humble us and lead us to say, help God. And after we come to God, he's like, can God put you back together to be a whole person once again? In our English, we say, hello, which is a shortened form of uh, hell is low. And then they would say, well, hi, heaven's high. Or we say, goodbye, which is a shortened version of God bless ye. That's in our English. But I love this here. And, and Paul took these words and Christianized them and created them to and very important, powerful words in our Christian dictionary. So let's understand Grace. First of all, it's an undeserved favor. It's not something we did in the past that has qualified us, nor is it something we'll do in the future that will qualify us. At no point in time do we deserve God's grace. And when we talk about grace, we're talking about everything. Remember he said to Moses, I am who I am. Whatever you need, I am it. You need forgiveness, grace. You need mercy, grace. You need love, grace. You need strength, grace. You want to grow and be a fruitful, more person, grace. Whatever you need, whatever area of your life you need it in. We have this story as a picture of this in Mephibosheth. After David ruled as king, Typically, a king would wipe out the previous king and all their relatives, even distant relatives. But they had all died in the battle and David sought out somebody who was from his enemy, Saul's family. Only one remaining, but he, he's sort of disqualified because when his nanny heard that Saul had died, she ran real quick and she fell on him and busted his legs. He's completely lame in both his feet. So you can't have a kingly house with some crippled guy. And he said, go get him. And he said, Mephibosheth, who was living in Lodabar, a place of nothingness, hiding out in a place that people didn't walk by. And he brought him here and he said, all of your father and grandfather's 
land and businesses and cattle and sheep, all of their wealth is now yours. And here is Saul's servant. He's going to take care of all of it for you. But you don't need the money from that because I want you to live in the palace with me and I'm going to take care of all your needs. And it's said that Mephibosheth continued at David's table as one of his own kids. And that chapter 9 of 2 Chronicles ends, but he was still lame in both of his feet. In other words, it was all grace. He should have been an enemy, but the king brought him unto himself and made him a part of his family. He would never be able to earn this favor David's put upon him because he's lame in his feet. What a beautiful picture. That's us. We can never earn God's favor. It's the opposite of our fleshly thinking, though, because our instincts are, the coach picked me to be on the team. (gasps) I can't believe I made the team. Now, what do I want to do? I want to go out there and show the coach why he picked me, and I'm going to run harder than everybody, do whatever it is to succeed in that sport, and I'm going to pass his expectations of me. That's, that's our human nature, isn't it? But the opposite is true here. God chose us. Why? They were asking this question. The children of Israel were asking this question. And they thought it was a gag gift. <laughs> they really did. They thought this is a gag gift. We're going to get out of Egypt And God saw, even before we left left Egypt, he saw what kind of people we are. A bunch of complaining, stiff-necked, rebellious, unthankful people. And so they get to the Red Sea, remember? (laughs) And God takes them across the Red Sea. They're three days without water. And then they start saying, we knew God's plan. It was to bring us out here to humiliate us and then let us die of thirst in the wilderness. That was their thinking. They could not have faith in God's grace. And they continued to be rebellious because they continued to believe that God would eventually hate them. That God was disgusted with them, disappointed in them, frustrated with them. That that he regrets ever having called them by name. Now Abraham, he was a good guy. I love that guy. And Isaac, he got there. And Jacob, ooh, okay, he got there. But now you guys, 400 years later after Jacob, can't stand you guys. As a collective, once you became a few million people, you're disgusting. I don't want anything to do with you. That's what they thought. And God repeatedly says stuff like this in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 through 8. For you are a holy priest, you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you are more in number than any people, for you are the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you. 
because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand, redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king. Why did God choose us? Because look at us. Who would choose us? Who, who in their right mind would choose us? And God just says, here's why. Not because you were a mighty people or would be a mighty people. Not because of the amount of people you are or would be. Not because you yourselves would become something special. No. I chose you for this reason because I wanted to set my love upon you. Ah, okay, what's your motive? What's the plan? That I would be your God and you would be my people. What else? Nothing else. Nothing else. But through my love and faithfulness and forgiveness and kindness and grace and mercy and blessings upon you, the whole world would know who the true and living God is. He would, the whole world would see God's nature through how he deals with you. And what do we find in the children of Israel? It's disgusting. They're just like us. That's what we discover. You look at the children of Israel, they do okay for a little while. And then, you know, one of the kings, the righteous kings died and the unrighteous king comes and the whole nation is right into, boy, it's like they have their idols, you know, buried in their house, ready to pull those false idols out in a heartbeat. They get tired, the very last book of the Bible, they're tired of going to church. The priests are tired of being priests. They bring lame and crippled sheep to be sacrificed, which is supposed to be a sheep without blemish. They don't care. The priests don't care. They're offering it. What do we see at the end of the Old Testament? These people, God just says, I, I don't want you to give me any more tithes. You don't give me a true tithe anyway. You give me a tip. <laughs> it's a burden to you. I don't want it. You're bringing your sheep. Don't bring them anymore. No more sacrifices. I, I'm sorry that I'm a burden to you. I'm sorry that I make you have to go to Jerusalem and, and, and their sacrifice and give of your tithe, that whole 10%. I'm ripping you off. Taking your time. Making you travel. Make you have to give me animals to sacrifice. Make you have to give me some of your money. Make you have to, every Friday night, have a special family dinner. How horrible of me. And then what do we find? 400 years of silence. And then we hear John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God says this. I'll give you a lamb. You're unwilling to give me an actual lamb of hundreds of lambs you have, but I'll give you my lamb, the lamb, my son, Jesus. You don't want to sacrifice. I'm going to give my son himself as a sacrifice for you. Why? What are you trying to prove? That I love you. That you are my special people who, whoever would believe in him. The moment you believe 
You look up at the cross like the snake on the pole. You look to Jesus and his sacrifice as your substitution. The moment you look, you'll find that you were elected by God from the foundation of the world. Well, is there any other way to find out? No. Well, I don't want to receive the Lord. I don't want to submit to God. I don't want to follow God. I don't want him to be my God, and I don't want to be his person. Oh, I, that's, I'm not surprised because you're not one of God's elect. Well, how do you know that? Because you're unwilling to believe in him. Well, that's not very fair that I'm not elect. Well, believe in him. And then you'll find out you are. I don't want to believe in him. It's because you're not the elect. I understand. Well, it's just not fair. Well, believe in him. And, and you're right, it won't be fair. He'll forgive you of all your sins. He'll make you his child. He's going to give you heaven for eternity. None of that's fair. This is what we got to. It's an undeserved favor. Right? That's his grace. Secondly, it's an unmerited or unearned favor. We have another story about a Syrian general by the name of Naaman. Man, my throat is extra dry today. <clears throat> I ordered a ash on the side with my hamburger last night, but they put the ash right on the hamburger. <clears throat> we're, 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 who knows what we're breathing in and out here? I think the least of things we're breathing in and out right now is the coronavirus. I think we're probably breathing in some toxic waves. Uh... Anyway, Lord be with us. So, we have this story of Naaman, this Syrian king who had leprosy, and this Jewish captive girl said, there's a guy, Elisha, a mighty prophet, and, and God's with him, and there's no limits to his power because he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, his general goes over, and, and before he gets there, God speaks to Elisha and sends a servant out saying, he already knows you're coming. He's a prophet. And he says, go dip seven times in Jordan, and your leprosy will be healed. But this general is just so angry. How dare that prophet not come and meet me in person? Doesn't he understand how important I am? And he sends out one of his lowly servants to talk to me. What's a servant even talking to me for? And he wants me to go. The Jordan River is filthy compared to our rivers in Syria. If dipping in a river would have cured anything, I could have do that back home. Finally, his servants say, come on. If he told you to go slay a dragon, you would have done it. If he told you to give you, uh, you know, 20 pieces of gold, you would have done it. Because there's no effort in it, because it's not hard at all, you're not going to at least try it? Because in his mind, it had to be some difficult thing to overcome. And then I deserve to be healed by that God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob but there was no effort in it. All he did is what he does every day, go take a bath. Well, you know what happened? He went down to that river and it said his, baby, his skin came, became like a baby's skin. All the way back to infancy, that's some seriously good skin. Boy, to have that soft baby butt again, you know? That, that soft skin, oh, it smells, smells so good too, that baby. Oh, you smell those babies, those, wow. What a miracle. Again, in Ephesians 2.9, it's not of works, so nobody can boast. 1 Corinthians 1.30 again, 
But of Him, Christ Jesus, He became for us wisdom. He became for us righteousness. He became for us sanctification. He became for us redemption. That it's written, He who glories, let Him glory what? In the Lord. And then Naaman tried to send a bunch of money to Elisha. And Elisha said, go tell that guy I won't take a penny. No money. It's free. It's a free gift. And he needs to have faith in that free gift. The third thing about grace, it's of his fullness. Sorry about that. I have a misspelling there. Of his fullness is given unto us. The grace isn't partial. It's God giving himself to us in his entirety. There's no sin that he won't forgive. There's no numerous amount of sins sins he won't forgive. Every prodigal, he will joyfully receive you back into himself. Every wandering sheep, he will go out and search for you till he finds you and brings you back into himself. All love, all patience, all kindness, all goodness, all joy. There is nothing God's holding back from you. Nothing. In his house, you have everything. Every cupboard is yours. The earth is the Lord's and all that's in it. He says in 1 Corinthians 1, it's been given to you, all things. This is what we read in John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In verse 16 of John 1, and of his fullness we've all received. Here's an impossible statement. Grace for grace or grace upon grace. Grace in and of itself is all you need and more. It's an infinite supply. But God's giving you an infinite supply on top of an infinite supply which is basically impossible to do, but God did it. <laughs> in 1 Peter 5.10, he said, the God of all grace will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. In 2 Corinthians 9.8, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that in having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. In 2 Corinthians 12.9, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I most gladly will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The next thing we need to know about God's grace is Satan is planning to frustrate that. Satan wants to frustrate your faith in the grace of God. Chapter six, he's gonna say, you need a shield to, fight, to quench those fiery darts of the enemy. You're gonna need a sword to fight against offensively at the enemy. Satan is trying to get you to think, God is upset with you. God is irritated with you. God is mad with you. God's frustrated. He's disappointed. And, and, and we're going, oh, oh, God, please forgive me. Forgive me. Oh, please, 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 forgive me. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Oh, God, please, 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 I beg you, forgive me. I promise I'll do better next time. I promise I'll never do that again. I promise, you know, don't, don't kill me tonight in my sleep. And tomorrow morning, I'll get up and I, I, I please, I beg you, I beg you, I will, I will do better tomorrow. That's where Satan wants you. That is no Christianity. All religions in the world look like that. Man begging their way into God's favor. 
This is what Satan is doing. All religions of the world are telling people, you have the burden to reach God with a better life than you're living. And every time you, you make a level, they include a different level. <laughs> they keep raising the bar like our governor does. Same exact thing. <laughs> Inside joke for California. Um, no matter what you do. Well, I'm praying every morning now. Oh, you're not praying at night? Oh, I'm praying every morning, every night. Now, you're not praying at noon? Well, I'm praying every morning, noon, and night. Well, how long? Oh, ten minutes. Only ten minutes. You do this in your own head a lot of times. Satan doesn't even have to bother. You just keep making your own laws. And then you, 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 you keep that law the best you can. A law that God never made. You made it up yourself. And, and you're just in this little grinder. And eventually what happens? I hate being in this grinder. I hate God. I hate the Bible. I hate Christianity. There are a bunch of hypocrites down there anyway. And Satan does exactly what he had planned. No, guys. There is no standard that God has given you other than to love him. Why did you choose me? So you would be my people and I would be your God. Well, put a little meat on the bones on that. That's it. Adam and Eve, they just walked with God in the cool of the evening. What do, you, what do I do? Just take a day at a time and follow me. Well, how do I follow you? The light of God's word. Well, if I don't read the Bible, do I go to hell? No. It's just you're not going to grow very much as a Christian. Well, what if I don't pray? Well, again, you're not going to grow very much as a believer. What if I decide not to get baptized? Well, there's a blessing in your life you're not going to get. Well, what if I decide not to obey you at all? Well, good luck with that. Your Holy Spirit, my Holy Spirit's in you. You're going you're to find that you truly are a new creature, that you really are a part of my house. And so we got to come back with Satan with the sword of the word. Romans 5.20, where sin abounds, grace will abound more. Get behind me, Satan. For Philippians 1.6, he who began this good work will complete it until the day of Christ. Get behind me, Satan. God's not giving up on me. Hebrews 7.25, Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. What's, what's Jesus' hobbies in heaven? The funnest thing he does is intercede for you. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, we know this well, don't we? Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are. Jesus didn't have to do that. But yet he predestined his life on earth on the day he was born. It tells us in Isaiah 53, he was a man acquainted with sorrow and grief through all his life, childhood, his teenage years. And the Bible says that men looked at him and said, you look like a guy that God hates. You've been smitten of God and afflicted. And we know now, no, Jesus just in his short little 33 years of life packed in that every temptation, every struggle that man would go through, that he could now be the faithful high priest without sin. Unlike us, he never sinned. 
And in verse 16, let us therefore come what? Boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, this is faith. Faith comes boldly. Satan saying, God is getting sick of you. So we walk into the throne of grace. God, are you sick of me? God's like, where did you get that thought? Could, could you imagine your little three-year-old child trying to be potty trained? And they're up in their room and they're just depressed. They can't get out of bed. They're just like, I'm such a failure. Yesterday, I was going to make sure I pooped in the toilet every single time. And you told me you'd give me a candy, and I really wanted that candy. But I give up on myself. I should just commit suicide. Because I'll just never get this pooping thing down. And this little three-year-old's getting seriously depressed. Day after day after day. Is that... Is that why you told them you're trying to potty train them? To give them a law? To beat them down and make them feel bad about themselves? The mom says to the three-year-old, yes, you should feel bad. Susie down the street, she's a month younger than you and she's already doing it correctly. (laughs) Is that what you're going to do? Are you going to grab that little child and say, this is mommy and daddy's worry? We're going to get you there. And it doesn't matter how long it takes. Don't you worry about it. We're going to get you there. Well, I'm just so sorry you have to do this. I I know you never planned on this. Uh, Yeah, actually we did. We knew the day you were born, we would be going through this time, potty training. This isn't the worst of it. Wait till you're 13. That's the worst of it. But right now, at three years old, Right? God knows our end from the beginning. He knows he had to pay for all our sins 2,000 years in advance on a cross. He's going to get us there. So now we come boldly. Satan wants you to think that God's there. It's like we're walking into the throne room. We open the doors. We walk in and there's the seraphim and the seraphim. And there's God on his throne and the glassy sea in front of him of grace. God's like, yeah, come on in, come on in. God, I'm really sorry, but I've sinned. (gasps) Really? Okay. Well, I forgive you. Go, go, go and sin no more. And 10 minutes later, we got to go back in. Hey, I hate to bother you again, but I need forgiveness again. God's like, did you ever leave? (laughs) Oh, yeah, sure, sure. I forgive you. 10 minutes later, you got to go back in again. He's like, oh, man. The angels are going, did you not find the way out? What are you doing back here? And God's like, again? Gabriel, can we do three times a row on the same day? Is that even possible? And 10 minutes later, you got to go back in again. And now they're all just sort of making fun of you. The angel's like, oh, surprise, look who's back. And God's up there going, again? This isn't about sin, is it? It's got to be about something else now, right? No, it's about sin again. Ugh. 
Oh, just go, just go, 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 go. You're, you're, you're forgiven, just go. And then you got to go back in again. And now they're all really making fun of you. And God's up there going, oh, let me guess. Oh, who needs forgiveness? And then you got to go back in again. And this time God's like, you've broken the record. Bing, 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 bing. We've never had anybody like you ever. Gabriel, go look. Is his name really in the book of life? I'm, this can't be. Nobody can struggle like this and be in the book of life. That's what Satan wants you to think. But it's more like when my kid used to ride the tricycle and fall off it 20 times. And every time they needed another Mickey Mouse Band-Aid. So after 45 minutes of riding the tricycle and 25 Mickey Mouse Band-Aids, what are we doing? We love it every time. Let me kiss your little owie. Let me put another Band-Aid on it. Take a picture of them and their 20 Band-Aids. God never can think negative about you. God is a God of love. That is his nature. He believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I love that song of Solomon. He is my beloved, and I am his. His banner over me is love. God loves you. He has already, it says in Hebrews 10, 14, through the one sacrifice has already perfected you forever. Those who are being sanctified. And look at the sanctification in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. May the God of all peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful who will also do it. Do we hear this? Your whole spirit and soul and body are going to be blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Well, what about my sins? What are your eyes even on yourself for? The righteous man falls seven times, it says in Proverbs, and gets up seven times. He's just like, wherever my sin is, his grace is more sufficient. I just go boldly to the throne of grace and Satan says, you're a lemon. Yeah, I know. God picked me though. Here I am, God. You're lemon. You're special lemon, God. I think God's getting tired of you. No, he loves, he loves seeing me. I think he's getting wore out for giving you that same note you're hitting over and over. Hey, shut up. God loves every word of my mouth. He loves every thought of my heart. He's taken every one of my tears and he's put them in a bottle that he's going to keep them in a special room in heaven. No, no, no. His banner over me is love and only love. He who began this good work is going to complete it. He's standing over us right now singing. It's by grace alone we are saved. There is one work you have to work and that is believing in a God who's that good. You look at a sunset. Look at a sunrise. Go down and listen to the great pounding of an ocean. Or go on YouTube and see this pictures of the outer space we've never seen in our earth before through the Hubble 
pictures. It's, it's like colors and shapes and beauties. Or go look at the camera underwater in the ocean and look at all the beautiful fish and crazy things. They, I didn't even know that such a creature even existed on the planet. Colors and brightness and fins. and or Just go and just hold a little brand new baby. You know God is good and great and magnificent and he's a God of beauty and a God of loveliness and a God of peace. And the only reason we're not experiencing that peace is because we haven't believed in him. You believe in him and so righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. I believe in God's goodness to save me, not of my works. I'm in a relationship with Christ today because I believe in him, not of my works. And I'm going to be over here. And when I'm faithless, he remains faithful. He can't deny himself. Do I want to have peace? Then I come boldly. Don't limp. Don't whimper. Don't beg. Come boldly to that throne of grace. Jesus said to Peter, no, I, I, I don't require you to forgive your brother seven times a day. But 70 times seven a day. What is a human being should have such a gracious heart that God's requiring of us to forgive our brother without a number, is really what he's saying. I don't think those fishermen could go 70 times seven. Hold on, let me, let me work on this. Anybody got that calculator, anybody? I don't think they were supposed to know the number. I think the point is, if God's requiring that of us and our wicked hearts... In this sinful body, how much more his heart is going to be that. And we now just need to grow in that grace. To go to understand he is my God and I'm his people. That's it. That's all that he ever desired and wanted. So I'm going to now spend my time understanding what my calling in him is. How much love he has for me. And about his great grace. There's nothing he's holding back. In Romans 8, 32, if he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And then we come to verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, past tense, with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. What is God saying? I'm gonna make sure you don't miss out on anything. Now, are all the way into heaven. You say, well, Brian, hold it. You, you better talk about obedience a minute because everybody's going to go out and not really live a very good Christian life because we gotta, you got to have a little bit of fear and guilt working with you. Or people, you know, look at tithing and uh, then the church is going to get broke and, and people are going to quit showing up to the prayer meetings and, and uh, probably no one's going to go to church because it's like, hey, we don't have to do anything you know what? Do that. God God would rather you do nothing than to do something out of fear and anxiety and guilt. Right? If you know your child gave you a Father's Day present because he was afraid you might cut him out of the will, are you going to enjoy that present? If you're Son comes for Mother's Day because he's anxious about you not wanting to be in his life anymore. 
Would that bring any joy to you whatsoever? No, God wants a relationship, but there's only one thing, only one way, and that is you are overwhelmed with his grace and his goodness and his love, grace upon grace of his fullness we all receive. And now we say, I, I, I want to because I get it. I'm, in the, I'm on this life on earth just for a vapor of time. We're, we're at a bus stop, man. We got dropped off the day we were born, and we're getting picked up from that bus really soon, aren't we? I mean, I, I, last I remembered, I was 20 years old. And all of a sudden, I woke up, I raised four kids, I pastored for almost 40 years, and I'm, I'm 48 years old. I'm not, no, I'm 60. Life just goes by so quickly. And I, I get that, Lord, help me to know my days that I might attain wisdom. But now I, I just, I want to love God. I want to be a blessing to people. I literally want as Jesus who became poor that others might be rich. Lord, that's me. I want me to be poor, my will, my wants, my desires, and, and just to bless everybody, complete strangers, definitely my family, but complete strangers, people that, that don't know me and, and, and maybe they yelled at me and, and maybe an enemy next door who's persecuting me. I just want to love them more than anybody on the earth. That's it. Now you're being perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Loving those, praying for those who persecute you, who despitefully use you. Loving them, doing good to them. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him to drink. Why? Because you don't want to go to heaven, don't you? You don't want to lose your salvation, do you? You don't want God to be mad at you, do you? You better forgive. Or is it, God, I just want to be in a perfect harmony with you. And my heart has to be and one with your heart, and you forgive all sins. So I want to be a person who forgives all sins so I can walk in the light as you are in the light and have a sweet fellowship with you and with others who are also in that light. It all comes down to this, right? There's only one commandment. Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the first, the greatest, and the only commandment but it has to be out of a heart of thanksgiving because of grace. When that happens, that Christianity now is what Christ started. And now you'll have the peace of God. And I just encourage you to grab the Christian Foundation books if you haven't and just get strengthened. This is the whole first section is on this very point. Get washed in it. Share it with your family members. Share it with your neighbors. Just tell them, do you want to know how to have the gift of God, the certainty that God is in your life for eternity? How many of you were in torment, wondering if I were to die, would I go to heaven or not? How many of you have been raised in churches who have always kept guilt and fear, you know, under the current to try to keep you in line? And the whole time, you haven't been free to walk in Christ as he has called you. 
Well, Lord, we thank you as we begin this wonderful journey in the, one of the best books in the whole Bible, the book of Ephesians, that you would do this work in us as we cement the truth of you, the truth of your gospel into our lives. Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus that every one of us would look to you right now for the joy set before you, you endured the cross, despising its shame, knowing that there would be millions of people that would just look to you and believe. And then they would understand the joy that you have loved them from the beginning of time to the end of time. That as you, Father, are in the Son, and the Son and the Father, and that we would be in you, and you and us in a perfect unity. that we would have a walk in you, having faith in your grace, not of our works, past, present, future, but we would glory only in you and your wonderful nature, the same nature that created all things, created us, that we had come in that union, we'd be a light and salt into the earth of the gospel of grace. In Jesus' precious name. And right now, if you believed in the Lord today, I just encourage you to now grab a Bible, start reading it, and just following Jesus. It's that simple.